Hi, I'm Sam Slater from Fun Calibre, and today I've been joined by Alex Wright, Manager of Fidelity Special Values Investment Trust. Hi, Alex. Hello. So your most recent update suggests that you're cautiously positioned in case the second wave of the pandemic is worse than expected. What companies are you favouring to achieve this? So I'd say the fund's fairly balanced. I wouldn't say we're particularly cautious, but neither are we uh, necessarily that aggressively positioned. Um, and I think that that's basically because I'm seeing value across the market. So it's not just in cyclicals or it's not just in defensives, but certainly in the lower growth stocks, I think there's an awful lot of value there. So we've got some really quite large defensive positions. So we're quite big in healthcare in, in Sanofi and Roche. We've got a big position in, in Imperial. Uh, we've got some utilities in Contour Global and, and John Lang. But then we do have some more aggressive positions as well. So, for example, the life insurers are the biggest position in the, the, the fund. They're clearly more economically um, cyclical, um, but less so than people perceive. So I think that the fund is fairly balanced rather than necessarily being um, defensively positioned. Um, but we do have a reasonably small number of sort of direct heavily affected by the virus name. So probably only about 4% of the funding, what I would call stocks that can't really get back to their proper earnings potential um, until the, the, the vaccine comes and the, and the virus moves out of general circulation. So I think it's, it's too early to be positioned for that side of the recovery in terms of the very impacted stocks. But we do have stocks which are affected by the economic cycle, which is obviously impacted by how um, big and, and how negatively the second wave affects the UK economy. And those four that you've just mentioned then, you must have very high conviction that they're going to come out of it if you're willing to hold on to them in this period? Yeah, so these aren't stocks that are closed and aren't earning any money. So I don't own any airlines, for example, or hotel stocks or pub stocks, which are burning cash right now. These are companies, um, so the biggest of those is Megit, which is an aerospace aftermarket business. So they're still getting money because some planes are still being serviced, just less than normal. And then they also have a big military business. So earnings are well down, um, uh, more than 50%, but there are still earnings there. They are still profitable. Same in CNC, which is a drinks business that is very badly impacted. And certainly one of their businesses is making a loss because it's on trade distribution to pubs. But they also sell uh, Magna Cider, which is um, also an off trade business. So these aren't companies that have a big balance sheet issue in the short term because they haven't got any earnings, but they have got much more depressed earnings until we see a, a normalization of um, societal conditions. Okay, thank you. Um, and your gearing is still quite high, it's around 14%. Why is that? So the, the gearing's moved up over the, the last year. So if you went back to sort of towards the end of the year, we were close to only 2 or 3% gearing on the, the trust because it was uh, more difficult for me to find opportunities. I think with the market downturn, uh, and obviously the, the, the market and the trust has had a really tough time this year, the, the good news from that on the other side, the silver lining, as it were, to that is the fact there's a lot more opportunities. So I found a lot more attractively priced stocks um, and therefore, we've been buying new names. So the name count has moved up back to about 100 and we were down at about 90. Um, 
uh, and the net has constantly moved up as well. And again, some of that is actually defensive stocks. So we bought Origin, which is an agriculture company, Ericsson and Vodafone in, in telcos, but also some more um, cyclicals as well. So we have increased our weight to UK housing by buying into LSL and a couple of UK house builders, as well as buying into Inchgate, which is a, a motor distributor. So again, showing that there is a lot of value out there and it's actually across the, the spectrum, those cyclicals and defensive companies. Um, one of the areas of value traditionally has been the oil and gas companies, but I noticed that your weight into that's relatively low. Do you think that's a value trap and something to stay clear of? Yeah, so I'm I'm always very conscious on this um, strategy to look sort of for value with positive catalysts. So like other value managers, I'm looking for companies that are cheap on price to book where returns are low. But I think differentially from some others, I'm also looking for what will the catalyst be to get returns to rise. Um, and so I'd say compared to other value strategies, and actually there aren't many of them left now in the, the UK, but in, in terms of that small subset of competitors, I am very underweight oil and gas and also underweight banks, which is unusual because I think those two sectors, based on the work we've done at Fidelity, it's actually very difficult to see the current low ROEs rise. So the stocks are very cheap. There generally isn't a problem with balance sheets. So there's good downside protection in those names. But in terms of returns rising, it looks quite hard. So there are some select stories in, in oil and gas and, and banks, which I think the ROEs will rise from current levels. But in many cases, I don't think they're going to rise. So I think the stocks will stay cheap. And I guess that is the, the classic definition of a value trap, a, a cheap stock remaining cheap. And what are your thoughts on Brexit as we've got another deadline looming? Um, what do you think could be the impact on UK companies? You've got quite a weight to smaller mid caps at the moment. Are you worried at all? Yeah, so so Brexit is um, an ongoing risk to the, the portfolio, as it has been for the last five years. And that's one of the reasons that investors have been shying away from UK equities uh, and one of the reasons they remain uh, extremely cheap compared to, to other markets. I think what's interesting, though, is that, well, well, probably 12 months ago, you could say Brexit was the biggest macro risk for the UK. Clearly, that the COVID pandemic is a much bigger macro risk than Brexit. Um, and also, I think it's somewhat of the same nature. So the real risk isn't the, the change in the relationship. So it, it's the suddenness of a potential no deal coming in on, on January the 1st. But actually, the disruption to supply chains that I and others have been worrying about if that comes to pass, I think is not that dissimilar to the disruption to supply chains we've seen because of COVID. So effectively, there being a shortage of inventory, you're not being able to get things through borders, there uh, being longer checks, uh, things take longer. So actually, a lot of UK companies have done reasonably well with dealing with the logistics of COVID because they had that hard Brexit planning in place already. And so I think actually how damaging um, that sort of um, no deal Brexit will be is probably in my eyes less of a, a risk than, than maybe I thought it was because firms have had, unfortunately had a sort of a dummy run there and, and they know what to do in those circumstances. So while I think if there was a no deal Brexit, it would be negative for UK companies in the short term. And I would expect the pound to fall on that, I don't think it's a, as big a risk 
as I perceived it to be previously. And certainly as I think the market continues to perceive it to be a very large risk. And therefore you are being compensated in, in valuations. And that's the reason that I'm overweight um, pound earning equities in the fund compared to the market. So actually, because UK domestic equities have done so poorly over the last five years, they only make up about 25% of the UK market today. So actually 75% of the market is now international earners. So actually a weakness of the pound for pound-based investors is actually really good for the, the value of their portfolios. Um, and we have about 35% of the portfolio invested in pound-based earnings. So actually, in a hard Brexit, if you're measuring the returns in um, pounds, actually, I still think it would be positive for the fund in absolute terms, albeit negative in, in relative terms compared to the market or more overseas markets. And you do own a couple of overseas holdings, don't you? Could you perhaps talk us through one or two of them and why you like them? Yeah, so the, the, the trust has regularly made use of the 20% that we're allowed to invest overseas. Uh, and actually, consistently, that we've had maybe sort of between 15 and 20% invested overseas over my tenure since 2012. That has come down a bit more recently, actually, as some of the US names that I've owned historically, I've sold down. So we only have my land in the US now in the healthcare space, having sold out of City, which was a very big. Um, position for us and, and has done actually quite well, which is unusual for a bank. Most banks have underperformed. City has actually outperformed over the period that we owned it. In terms of today, the, the big weights in the overseas holdings are in the healthcare space. So uh, I think when you look at the UK healthcare space, it's a very narrow universe. You've basically got Galaxo and, and AstraZeneca. Um, and certainly in the case of AstraZeneca, that is an extremely expensive company. So investors are very excited about the, the growth that's coming out of that business. And indeed, in the short term, there is some very strong growth coming from that company, but you're, you're very much paying up for it. When if you look across the wider universe into Europe, there's a lot more choice in healthcare companies. And I own Roche and Sanofi. Their geographic exposure is very similar to a, a Glaxo or Astra but their valuation is much, much better. So Astra is over 25 times earnings. Now, Sanofi and Rocha are more like 13 to 15 times earnings. And actually, I think their long-term growth prospects, so outside of the very high growth that Astra is seeing for the next couple of years because of new drug launches, is actually quite similar. So that valuation gap to me is really attractive. The fact that you've got companies with reasonable long-term prospects, good balance sheets, very diversified earning streams and dividends uh, at a, a very large discount, not just to the, the sector, but to the, the available UK peers. That was really interesting. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. And if you'd like to find out more about the Fidelity Special Values Investment Trust, go to fundcaliber.com and don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or to sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of your listening. 